Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory Glory Jesus said, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will, who has, will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you have no teeth, teeth will be provided. (laughs) Once again, in the Matthew Gospel, we run into judgment. This week, in the form of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Last week, it was the uh, exclusion from a wedding feast. This theological horizon of judgment seems far from our world these days, doesn't it? It doesn't fit well to the cosy glow of churchy stained glass windows and padded pews. So what do we do with Matthew's willingness to give us judgment? I think we just have to look at the text at face value because while each gospel, each letter and each book of the Bible speak to their context... They are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that makes the words timeless. So Jesus did say in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So this wonderful little story that is called the parable of the talents, readers of millennia have been drawn to it because it is a simple clear, easy to understand. Its lessons this morning are impossible to miss. 
This parable tells us what to do while we are waiting for Jesus' return. While we are waiting, we are to work for the Lord. We are not to go off to the mountain and sit in a tent and drink Coca-Cola and eat Twinkies and Ho-Hos and play Trivial Pursuit all day long. There's a warning here against laziness. There's a warning here against mediocrity. There's a warning here against passivity. And there is a call to action, to, to, to vital living, to risk all that you have for Christ and his kingdom. Christ is coming, beloved. Christ is coming. So we're not to just sit around staring absentmindedly off into the distance. We're not to get all goofy and act all crazy or to check out from this life. If you really believe in the second coming, then get busy for the master. There is work to be done before he returns. A German proverb says it this way, begin to weave and God will give the thread. Johann Wolfgang von uh, Goethe, he said, he's a famous philosopher and he issued this call to action. He said, do the thing and great power will come to your aid. One man said that as believers, if we are to live with excellence, we must go the second mile. We must stop making excuses for non-performance. And we need to turn our faith into deeds that change the world. And he said that excellence is possible for you. Care more than others think is wise. Risk more than others think is safe. Dream more than others think is practical. Expect more than others think is possible. Often we will not risk anything because we fear failure. If, what if we try and don't succeed? What, if our, what will our friends think? What will our critics say? What will happen to our reputation? But against those self-fulfilling prophecies of doom, we have the famous words of Theodore Roosevelt. He said, it is not the critic who counts. Not the person who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena. It is far better to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checked by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in the grey twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. So as we look at this parable of the talents, two facts stand out very clearly. The first one is all three servants were judged by how well they managed somebody else's resources. When the master gave the talents to the servants, both they and he knew that it was still his money. Indeed, the first two men clearly called it your money. They never thought it was theirs. They understood that the master was loaning them the money with the understanding that someday he would call for accounts of how they had spent it. And when the master rebukes the third man, he calls it my money and my own. From this, we learn a very critical truth. 
All that we have belongs to God. In the literal sense, we own nothing. Not a thing. All the stuff we think is ours is really God's. He made them, he gave them to us, and one day he will take them from us again. Even your life is a gift from God. One day you will have to answer for what you did with the life that God gave you. Secondly, the third man thought he knew his master, but he didn't. In verse 24, he plainly says, I know you, but he was wrong. He thought his master was a cruel, unfair man who had made profit off the labours of others. But if he really believed what he said, he would have at least invested the money in the bank and gotten a small return. But this bloke didn't even believe his own excuse. How easy is it to deceive ourselves this morning, beloved? How easy is it to deceive ourselves? If I watch you long enough, I can tell what you believe by what you do. Not by what you say, but by what you do. You can say anything you like, but what you do tells the whole story. And you can watch me, and sooner or later you'll know what I believe by what I do, regardless about what I say. The third man thought he knew his master, but he didn't. And that's why he ended up losing everything. So, with all that said, let's open up three practical thoughts this morning. The first one is our talents. What are the talents in this story. Whenever we hear the word talents in English, we tend to think about natural abilities like playing a piano or being good at sports or knowing how to work on a car or doing cross-stitch. In the first century, a talent was a large amount of money. Originally, it stood for a particular weight. So later it came to to represent a certain weight in gold or a certain weight in silver coins. Most scholars believe that a talent of silver would represent approximately 16 to 17 years of salary of that of a soldier or of a labourer. So we are talking a huge, a huge amount of money in today's language. To give a man five talents would be like giving him approximately 80 years of salary to invest. Two talents would be close to 33 years of salary. And even one talent, as we said, would be close to 16 to 17 years of salary. So the master in this story must have been incredibly wealthy, like Elon Musk. And the three men in the story certainly had plenty of money to invest, giving in today's in today's economy. It is also noteworthy that each man is given a different amount. Verse 15 tells us that each one was given a particular amount according to their ability. Who made that determination? Well, it was the master, wasn't it? The master did. Why did he do it that way? Because he wanted to. No other reason is needed. If you are the master and you are a multi-billionaire and you want to give your money away, you can do it any way you like and you don't owe anyone an explanation. 
he could have given seven talents to the first man, four to the second and two to the third. Or he could have reversed it and done what he wanted to do. He could have done anything he wanted. The man who owed the money, owned the money, sorry, is sovereign. He is sovereign over the money. And he can do with it whatever he wills. So we should learn from this a very critical and crucial truth. And that is, God is not obligated to treat you like he treats anyone else. God is not obligated to treat you like he treats anyone else. He can give you more or less than others, and he does. You have more than some, and you have less than others. You have more money. You have more talent. You have more opportunity. You have more strength. You have better health and better connections than others. And on the flip side, you have less than others. So in the great pecking order of life, there will always be people above us and people on our level and people beneath us. The reality leaves us with two choices this morning. You can gripe and, and whine about your situation and use it as an excuse or you can accept it and start where you are and do what you can. The comparison game is a useless and non-productive game. Who knows why Jane got more than Alice and then Alice got less? Who knows why one man has cancer and another one doesn't? Who knows why one woman is born in El Salvador and another one is born in Belgium? Only God knows those things and he's not telling. And every moment spent worrying about that is a truly wasted moment. We're not all equal in terms of talents, gifts and opportunities. But here's the big idea. We all have the same chance to do something with what we've been given. Let me say that again. We all have the same chance to do something with what we have been given. The question is not, what have I been given? But rather, what will I do with what I have been given? Think of it this way. Your life is God's gift to you. What do you do with it? Is, is, is your gift back to God? Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is, God's, is your gift back to God. It's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have that makes all the difference this morning. God gives us what we can handle when we can handle it. If we need more, we would have more. And when we do need more, we will get more. You are not responsible for your position, but you are responsible for your disposition. Second thought is our investment. Let's take a moment to focus on the two men who multiplied their talents. One man started with five and ended up with ten. Another started with two and ended up with four. Which man had the greater increase? The answer is they're equal. Both men achieved 100% increase on what they had been given. While 10 is certainly greater than 4 and 5 is also greater than 2, the man 
with five ended up with more, but did not do better than the man with two talents. Both doubled what their master gave them. The case of the third bloke is a whole different kettle of fish. He started with one and ended up with one. In between, he buried the talent in the ground so he wouldn't lose it. He's got this classic loser's mentality. He's a perpetual victim. He perpetually is afraid to do anything because he thinks the system is rigged against him. That's essentially what he says to his master when he calls him a hard man because he thought he would be punished and so he, he, he hoards the whole thing. Making more money obviously never entered into this guy's mind. His fear of punishment was far greater than his desire to be rewarded. That's powerful. His fear of punishment was far greater than his desire to be rewarded. So the question is, was he right in what he said to the master? Now, in one sense, the answer is yes. Clearly, all three men knew the master would come back and they knew that he would demand an account. But the first two men focused on the fact that their master, besides being a fair man, could also be a very generous man. Who gives you, like, millions of dollars to, to go and invest? They knew that if they did a good job, they would get a great reward in the end. The third bloke lived in fear. He lived as a victim. And so he didn't do anything at all. One man said these words, He who waits to do a great deed will never do any deed at all. No pain, no gain. No risk, no reward. The third bloke played it safe and ended up losing everything. In the end, his talent, was, his talent went to the first bloke and he ended up with nothing. Teresa of Avalia, or Avila, says these words. Many people neglect the task that lies at hand and are content with having wished to do the impossible. Oh my goodness. That is a powerful statement. Many people neglect the task that lies at hand and are content with the wish to do the impossible. So what's this bloke's problem? He thought he knew his master, but he didn't. Because he didn't know him, he didn't trust him. Because he didn't trust him, he did nothing. And because he did nothing, what he had was taken away from him. And he himself was cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In biblical terms, he ended up in hell. Let me say it plainly. If you do nothing with what God gives you, you will go to hell. Those are shocking words, but I see no other way to interpret this parable. 
The third man was called a worthless servant and was rejected by his master. He represents those phony baloney. You use that term, don't you? Phony baloney? Yeah? He represented those phony baloney Christians who come to church but never give their hearts to the Lord. They don't serve the Lord because they don't know the Lord. They invest all they have in themselves because they are living for the things of this world. Believe me, I understand no one likes to go to church and have the preacher tell them they might go to hell. I get that. But it's true. And I will always tell you the truth. You know why? Because I love you. And the truth is that those who live entirely and only for themselves, those who claim to be Christians but live as they were the centre of the universe, those who have no time for or or any interest in the things of God will wake up one day in hell because they are worthless servants who never knew the Lord. This is a solemn warning, beloved. And we would do well to take it seriously. Third and final thought, our reward. Now, let's turn all this into a positive, okay? Let's let's get to the positive side of the story now. The rewards promised to those who faithfully use their talents in the service of Christ and his kingdom. In the parable, the master says the same thing to the first two servants. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. First, there is an acclamation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Second, there is a promotion. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. And thirdly, there is an invitation. Enter into, your, into the joy of your master. These words contain an enormous truth that we would do well to ponder. And that is, what you do now determines how you will spend eternity. What you do now determines how you will spend eternity. Nothing is wasted when we serve the Lord. Nothing. Even the unseen acts of kindness as seen uh, by Christ and and will one day be rewarded by him even the unseen acts of kindness and as we will see next week even a cup of cold water given to a thirsty person is noticed by heaven however the big question is what did Jesus mean when he promised to set you over much let's look at a similar parable but not identical in Luke chapter 19, 11 to 27, called the parable of the pounds. In that parable, Jesus explicitly promises to give his loyal followers the chance to rule over the cities of the earth in the coming millennial kingdom, which is mentioned in the book of Revelation. To one, he promised 10 cities. To another, he promised five cities. This is an astonishing thought that one day we will share in Christ's triumph and will rule with him in his kingdom. If we have been faithful in this life, he will give us cities to rule. What city 
would you like to have? I think I'd like to have Akron. Just let me have this city for a few weeks and there will be a few changes. Amen? Maybe you want Singapore. Maybe you want Nairobi. Maybe you want Los Angeles or Sydney or Tehran. It doesn't matter. All those cities will need leadership in the millennial kingdom. Why shouldn't it be you and me? And it could be us if we are faithful to serve the Lord now. Mark 8, 36, Jesus said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? And forfeit his life. There is a message here for all of us, if only we would listen. Find out what matters in life and then go and do it. Find out what matters in life and then go and do it. Not everything matters in this life. Not everything is truly as important as we thought it was. So it's time to serve the Lord. Back in Exodus chapter 4, 1 to 9, Moses, uh, God says to Moses, What is in your hand? It was a staff. Throw it on the ground, Moses. He did, and it turned into a serpent. Pick it up, Moses. He did, and it turned back to a staff. God asks the same question of you and me. What is in your hand? Not much, you say. Give it to the Lord anyway. Offer it up to Him. If you don't have much talent, if you don't have much money, and very little opportunity. Well, fine. Offer what you have to the Lord. Break out of that poverty mentality and offer it to the Lord. Give it all to Him. Put yourself at the disposition of the King of Kings. Put yourself at the disposal of the King of Kings. And you might be surprised at what God does with the little that you think you have. Remember, it's faithfulness that God rewards, not worldly success. Your church needs you. What will you do? The world's crying out for help. What will you do? Jesus calls and says, come and follow me. What will you do? The time is short, the world is passing away, and the end of all things is at hand. Who knows how long you will live for? Who knows if this is the day when Jesus will return? Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Now is the time. This is the hour and God is calling you. What will you do? How will you respond? At one of our monthly men's breakfasts, we studied the prayer of Jabez. Who remembers that, guys? The prayer of Jabez. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. Jabez was a man who basically prayed, Lord, here I am. Use me any way you see fit. I offer you all that I have for the service of your kingdom. Put me where you want me to be. I give you the right to change my agenda without informing me in advance. Have you ever offered yourself unreservedly to the Lord. Are you afraid to pray like that? Don't be. Don't be. 
There is a great adventure ahead for those who serve the Lord. Just like Jabez, we should be praying and asking God to expand our borders. We should be praying and asking God to push us out of our comfort zones and to bless us indeed so that we can be a blessing to others in the name of Jesus. When we pray like that, great things are bound to happen because God loves it when his children risk everything for him. Here's one quote. A ship is safe when anchored in the harbour, but that's not what ships are for. A ship is safe when anchored in the harbour, but that is not what ships are for. If your goal is to live a life of security and safety, you'll end up with everything but not Jesus. Our Lord never took the safe road. He never took the easy way. He never took a shortcut in order to play it safe this morning. So if that's what you're looking for, you might as well forget about Jesus because he doesn't have any part in that. We've been fed the lie of Satan on this point. We've been taught that to be saved means to be safe. To that, to which the biblical answer is, that is hogwash. That is codswallop. You ever heard that term codswallop? That's a biblical answer. That is codswallop. I could use another word, but I'm not going to. Okay? Nothing could be further from the truth. We have not been saved to play it safe. Nothing could be further from the truth. A more biblical view would be as followed. To be saved means to be so secure in the love of God that you never have to play it safe again. To me, that's a far more superior perspective. Salvation puts you in such a position that you can afford to take big risks because you know that God loves you even when you fail. So let's wrap it all up. Let me give you the best argument I know for living on the edge with Jesus. And here it is. We're all going to die someday. Since we're all going to die someday, the only question is whether you're going to die playing it safe or risking it all for the Lord. Now, I don't want to die until I'm dead. I want to live every, until every moment. I want to live in every moment fully invested for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his kingdom, doing everything I can to advance his cause in the world and taking risks on the basis of kingdom principles. On kingdom principles. That's where you take risks, on the basis of kingdom principles. I don't want to waste my few years on planet Earth hoarding my resources so I can have earthly security. That's not what the life of faith is all about this morning. So here's the big idea. If you decide to live on the edge, you may not be completely successful. Maybe things will work out for you. Maybe they won't. If you decide to become a risk taker for Jesus, you will see success. Will you see success in all that you do? Probably not. 
Most of the men and women in the Bible who took great risks saw only partial success in their efforts. Abraham made it to the promised land, but he lived his whole life in tents. Moses led his people to the Jordan River, but he could go no farther. Joshua conquered the land, but not all the enemies were defeated. So it goes on and on and on for those who lived by faith. Our great calling is to find out what God is doing in the world and then to fling ourselves wholeheartedly into his cause. Let me make that more specific. Go back to your world. Go back to your home. Go back to your business. Go back to your neighborhood. Go back to your classroom. Go back to your family. Go back to your church. Go to your town. Go to your world, whatever that is, and find out what God is doing there and then go and do it with him. Throw yourself without hesitation into God's work in your world and then get ready for the time of your life. And that's God's calling to all of us. If we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. But in the end... The only losers will be those who held themselves back. In 1981, when President Ronald Reagan was nearly assassinated, his pastor from California came to see him in hospital in Washington, D.C. Pastor Don Newmore said, took the president's hand and asked him, how is it with you and the Lord? Everything is fine with me and the Lord, replied Mr. Reagan. How do you know? The answer was simple and profound. I have a saviour. That's the difference that Jesus Christ makes, beloved. When you have a saviour, you can face your own death with courage and grace. The question is, do you have a saviour? If you don't, or if you're not sure, I urge you to place your life in the hand of Jesus Christ right now. Place your life in the hands of Jesus Christ right now. Trust him as your Lord and Saviour. Ask him to take away your sins and to give you new life. Come to Christ and your life will never be the same again. And if you want to know more about salvation and trusting in Jesus, come and see me after the service and it would be a privilege for me to help you. Come to Christ let us all stand as you are able and let us pray Heavenly Father grant that we might be great risk takers for the kingdom of God forgive us for making excuses to cover our selfish choices shake us free from the love of the world and the love of money May we enter into the freedom that comes from living on the edge with you. In Jesus' name, amen.